You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is the Christian Humanist Podcast, a weekly discussion of theology, philosophy, literature, art, and other things that human beings do well. And now your hosts, David Grubbs, Nathan Gilmore, and Michael Farr. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Christian Humanist Podcast. This is Nathan Gilmore. I'm coming to you from Franklin Springs, Georgia, and I'm joined on the line today by Dr. Michael Farmer. He's an assistant professor of English at Crown College. Michael, how are you doing? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? Oh, a little bit punchy. I turned in my midterm grades yesterday, uh, pulled my, you know, sleep three hours and then tabulate grades for six routine. So I'm recovering from it, but... uh. If I if I talk a little bit like Sylvester Stallone today, it's not only because we're talking about Rocky. Also on the line today, uh, we've got Dr. David Grubbs. He's an assistant professor of English at Houston Baptist University. Uh, David, how are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty decent, sir. Very good, very good. Uh, got some things going on on the network. Uh, Sectarian Review just did a show on... Oh, I just listened to it on the way to work, Man, guys. Yes, Banned Books Week. Thank you, thank you. Uh, also, we've got a show uh, from the Christian Feminist Podcast about a Japanese filmmaker I'm not familiar with. Miyazaki, um, isn't it Miyazaki? You, you, you're not familiar with Miyazaki? Nope. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a film guy. You know this. You know this. I'm judging you. <laughs> I mean, he is like the one Japanese cartoon guy everybody knows. Well, well I, I, almost that, that, everybody. That, that, that's, that's what one more I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, Japanese filmmakers, I've pretty much got Kurosawa, and that's where it ends. I mean, that's... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not as sorry as you should be. I, oh, there you go. I'll, 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 I'll grant that. Any other network news, guys, now that we've uh, judged Gilmore for the morning? Uh, your Kierkegaard interview is out. Yeah, I think I plugged that last week. Yeah, okay. But it is. Uh, it did indeed come out the day I said it would. All right. So, very good. Yay. Well, I reckon we can turn the corner then and uh, start talking about our subject matter for the day. Uh, those of you who are listening last week know that I wanted to do an episode on the original Rocky, this being its 40th anniversary. And also, uh, we are, you know, in a year where we have a Rocky sequel recently. So... I wanted to dig into it, and I want to just dig right into the movie because there's so much to talk about here. So, Michael, I want to talk about the very first shot of this movie. Uh, it's none other than Jesus, and namely, it's a painting of Jesus, the high priest, blessing the sacrament. And then we pan downward to a shady local boxing show. Uh, I'm sure these questions will resurface as we go along, but what is sacred and what is profane in this film? I have to correct you a little bit. It's not just Christ. Also, that fight is sponsored by Resurrection Air Conditioning. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, obviously it suggests the sort of comeback that Rocky is eventually going to enact. Although, I'm not even really sure you can call it a comeback. Because he wasn't a has-been. He was a never-was, you know. And, right, right. And yet, he thinks his career is all but over. And then it turns out there's 11 more movies coming. Right. Now, Michael, I want to be sure that our listeners don't uh hammer me for not following up on this is it resurrection air conditioning or resurrection athletic club oh i bet it is athletic club i just saw ac okay. assumed it meant air yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> and i heard you say that i'm like of course it is because we've got a you know meat plant later on in the movie why wouldn't it be air conditioning but i think it might <laughs> you're probably right it probably is athletic club <laughs> All either right. way carry on carry on <laughs> you also have light shining down from above into the ring, you have this smoky atmosphere that suggests incense. And I think that one of the things that's happening there is that it's suggesting boxing is a kind of blood ritual. That, mm -hmm. uh, that these guys are beating each other up for some sort of spiritual betterment of the people watching. That being said, there's not that much religious material in this movie. Uh, there's a bunch of crucifixes displayed for what seems to me like verisimilitude, because you're dealing with a lot of um, Italian-Americans. 
Mm-hmm. You get Mickey who quotes the Bible. He says, like the Bible says, <laughs> you ain't going to get a second chance. And I'm not, I love I'm, that line. I wish you would have cited chapter and verse there. <laughs> Isn't that what Jesus says at the end of all those parables? <laughs> you ain't going to get a second chance. <laughs> Which, of course, you do. I mean, the fact that it's resurrection air conditioning says there is some sort of <laughs> athletic club. Says there is some sort of second chance, right? Mm-hmm. And then finally you have Rocky praying before the final fight. Apollo yeah. Creed does not pray. He just kind of sits there and looks at himself. And and that, I think, is meant to demonstrate another gulf between these two guys. Rocky is supposed to be mm-hmm. humble and his uh, religious devotion, of which that is really the only incident we get besides the crucifix in his bedroom. His, mm-hmm. his religious devotion proves that. Am I missing something? Because I, I, was, I was primed to watch this movie for uh for religious material knowing you were going to ask me this question and i just i did not find that much well what i find interesting about it is that whenever anyone does talk about something with any kind of reverence which isn't very often in this film it is for boxing itself right mm-hmm. i mean you know uh the reason that mick gives later in the movie for not you know developing the young talent rocky balboa is because he had sort of desacralized boxing by becoming a Lone Shark Enforcer, and we're going to talk about that later. But uh, it, it struck me as interesting that, you know, we get Jesus, but then what we pan down to see is not a mass, but a prize fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a prize fight shot as if it were a mass. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Dave, is there anything else to say about the sacred and the profane in this film? Well, I want to look at the. At that at that image that that you pointed at Michael at the end where he prays and and yeah yeah he 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 prays um, in the bathroom you know with uh, with treating the sink as the altar mm-hmm. um, and yeah Apollo Creed sets alone but um, Apollo Creed is sitting on the bed everyone all of his attendants are no longer with him they're all at the other end of the room with their back to him and you can read Apollo across across all of their backs because mm-hmm. because he's the god. Right. Yeah. Oh and yeah, he, and he has a god's name. Yeah, who can mm-hmm. Apollo Creed pray for? He is mm-hmm. his god, he believes in himself. You know, that's that's essentially what his name means. Um so that there's it, that he has literally no one to depend on himself, which makes well, which makes what goes down in the movie that much more shattering for that character. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Very good. Well, David, I want to turn to some more opening scenes, and I realize we're spending a lot of time on the opening of this movie, but I think it sets up a lot. So we get two sides of the stallion, the -hmm. small-time prize fighter and the loan shark enforcer. So what do we learn about our main character as he collects on a borrower and as he gets thrown out of his boxing gym locker? Uh, Well, he's sort of a thug with a heart. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to, he, he's, uh, attached himself to this loan shark, as you said, as an enforcer, he's there to, you know, break knees or in this, in this particular case, break a thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, except that he doesn't break the thumb. He accepts, you know, a money for most of what's owed and doesn't break the thumb. Uh, in fact, the guy tries to, uh, offer some other kind of collateral, which he won't accept because it's cold, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, he seems to be making choice, the choices that he thinks he has to make in order to survive. You know, when the trainer back at resurrection air conditioning, uh, <laughs> throws these choices in his face for, as, as you said, you know, desacralizing boxing. I, I, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. behaving in a way unfitting of a boxer. Um, what he throws back is just the phrase, it's a living as if that's a Mm -hmm. kind of ultimate apology. Yeah. Uh, still he would prefer not to break fingers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, not for working men, right? He doesn't want to break Bob's finger because he doesn't want him to get laid off. Mm -hmm. But he's thinking too much. Says mm-hmm. says the loan shark. You, you you don't you don't do the thinking, but he does think. He thinks about this man won't be able to work without thumbs, mm-hmm. you know, because for him surviving is that's that's what he sees. Uh, the way that he writes everything down in a little notebook, he's so conscientious in his way. 
Mm-hmm. But he's so internalized also that he's the guy who never, ever had a chance. And so he does the best he can with what he's got. Mm-hmm. Do you get this? Whenever Polly, his poor schlub friend who I pity more every time I see this, <laughs> um, do you get the sense that he's trying to, sh- that he do- doesn't think Polly could hack it in the Lone Shark Enforcer game? Absolutely. Or that he's trying to, or is he trying to shield him? Uh, I mean, I, he might, and again, I'm, I'm psychoanalyzing a character who exists for two hours and then stops existing, I realize. But... Until, until the uh, 24 other movies. Well, yeah, true enough. Yeah, but that's not the same character. We'll talk about that later. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I get the sense that, uh, you know, he might tell himself that he's going to protect Polly from this world. But, I mean, he knows and we know as the viewers that, I mean, uh, being an enforcer means you might have to run down a deadbeat debtor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, also, Polly is already cruel. And, and like Polly as an enforcer is a guy who doesn't have a soul at all anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. Rocky Rocky is able to keep this part of him separate from what he does. I'm not sure Polly could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Polly would have to be savage in a way that Rocky wouldn't doesn't have to be in order to be intimidating. Yeah, that's true too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, I, it, it made me want to the the little scene with that with that girl who never shows up again. Yeah, Marie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The 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 scene with Marie. It's it shows that I don't know. Rocky's got some kind of a protective side, or mm-hmm. he wants to he wants to keep people from going as low as they could. I don't know. I wondered if that applied to Polly, but he's so laconic. It's hard to. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I'll, I'll admit I had completely forgotten that scene with Marie in the years since I'd seen this last. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a fascinating little scene because, I mean, everyone who's watching the movie knows that Rocky is talking about himself there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, and in case you missed that, then you get the scene with Mick where, you know, Mick says, you know, the reason I never trained you is because you're a leg breaker for a second-rate lung shark. Right. And, you know, the, then there's that moment of, ah, okay, you know, this is why... Rocky is so concerned for Marie, right? Because he knows that once you go down that road, you know, even a old broken down boxing trainer won't work with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it seems as if the, as if resurrection, his, his only, his only chance at some kind of redemption is boxing and mm-hmm. he's, and he's forfeited that. Oh yeah. Yeah. The other thing, boxing and enforcement have in common is that they benefit the bosses and not the workers. So Rocky fights this grueling fight and wins 60 bucks, which is cut down to 41 bucks by the Mm -hmm. time he's done. And, and meanwhile he's collecting all this money for Gatso and he's not getting paid much of it. That being said, one thing that interested me, I had never seen this movie before. One thing that interested me is that Gatso is not a bad guy. (laughs) <laughs> he gives him he gives him money for his date. He gives him money to yeah. train, and he says, "I'm going to be there in the front row." And it cuts, and we see him there in the front row. Oh yeah, yeah. But, like Gatso is is really a weird kind of father to Rocky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was expecting him to be, you know, at the very least uninterested in Rocky, but he's not. He is interested. No, no. Oh yeah, there's a lot going on in this film, and I mean, especially, and I know I keep nodding to the sequels. We're going to talk about him in earnest later. But especially as the sequels get more and more simplistic morally, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on in the original Rocky morally that, I mean, is is fairly complex. He's not really a bad guy in this movie. Yeah. He's just a guy. Mm-hmm. He's just part of the ecosystem. Yeah, he really is. I mean, you know, maybe uh, maybe his driver you could point to as a genuinely unpleasant guy, but you know, he, <laughs> he doesn't he have might enough be... power to be a, a villain. I mean, <laughs> he, he he might have a lovely singing voice. I don't know. He's, he's <laughs> just a schmuck. I mean, <laughs> Polly, I would say, is actually the closest thing to a villain in this movie. I really yeah. hate Polly. But I mean, you can tell he becomes a villain not because of some sort of heroic Nietzschean cruelty, but because he is. I mean even more of a loser than Rocky and Adrian are. He doesn't have that one talent that Rocky has. Yeah. He's Rocky without boxing. Yeah, he really is. That's a, that's a good way to put it. He's so sad. 
<laughs> I, I can't I can't feel sorry for him, David, because of what he does to uh Adrian on Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I understand that. I understand that. But yeah, he's he's just he's just a beaten dog that sees every outstretched hand as a threat. Mm-hmm. And anyway, it's he he's he's so sad, and I think they're sad for him too. But what can you do? Well, and also, I mean, there's that way that he goes instantly, and I mean, I don't know how a man's voice can do this instantly from screaming to weeping. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just unnerving. I, <laughs> I mean, he really is the beaten dog. I mean, I. <laughs> it it does help to be drunk, probably. I point taken. Point taken. I. <laughs> Well, anyway, Michael, I mean, you, you mentioned Adrian. I mean, let's turn to her character. I mean, as far as first dates go, how does Rockies with Adrian go? And how does her narrative from the movie's opening to its last seconds work as a counterpart to Rockies? She is repeatedly referred to in this movie as shy, but mm-hmm. I think it's closer to a deliberate ethical stance. A woman of her sensitivity simply could not survive in the neighborhood she lives in any other way. So she mm. she has to withdraw into herself, or else she's going to she's going to forfeit herself. And and I mean, her abusive ape of a brother, mm-hmm. I, I think, is is enough to demonstrate that. Like, how could she live with this man and not not be reserved? Because anything mm-hmm. she holds out, he's going to break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What that means is Rocky's interest in her is meant to demonstrate that he's more sensitive than he would otherwise appear. So that he's interested in this kind of mousy, quiet, pet shop girl means that he's not the big idiot that he initially appears, right? Because Rocky seems like a stupid person. But Mm -hmm. if he's interested in her, he can't be that stupid. And he can't be that insensitive, especially. What Mm -hmm. he says is that their relationship fills gaps, meaning, you know, they're opposites, and so they kind of build each other up, which is is indeed what happens. Adrian becomes more assertive as the film progresses. Eventually she even tells Polly off. She she becomes a a whole person through her relationship with him. I'm less convinced that we see him develop in his relationship Mm -hmm. to her. She she seems to be of interest to this movie mostly because she's with him, which I guess is okay in a movie called Rocky. (laughs) But it's still, there's still something a little troubling about that. Their first date. Um, completely unbeknownst to her, they, uh, they're going out on Thanksgiving night. Polly destroys mm-hmm. the turkey she's presumably spent all day cooking. And, and uh, they go to an ice skating rink, which is closed. And by the way, the only reason it's closed <laughs> is because they, the, um, they couldn't get enough extras to fill it. Only one extra showed up, and Stallone rewrote the scene mm. on, on site. And, and thank God he did it so much better, right? Because he smooth talks this rink manager, and he ends up getting what a rich man would get. He gets the, the, the rink to himself, although instead of renting it, you know, renting it for three hours, he kind of talks his way into it for ten minutes. So it shows you, it shows you how charming he can be and how persuasive he can be. Um, mm-hmm. But then, during the date, he can't stop talking about himself. Like, it's the only thing yeah. he talks about is his <laughs> boxing career. And, I mean, he talks incessantly. David, you called him laconic earlier. I, I, I don't know that I would call him <laughs> laconic. He, he talks constantly. Uh, and he does when he goes to the pet shop, too. Like, like the, the second scene in the pet shop is just him talking for five minutes without Adrian responding at all. I should, I should revise that. He talks to her. That's true. <laughs> um, well, no, there's something to that because with every other character, I mean, you don't get more than a sentence from him. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe she does draw something from him the way he draws something from her, or he wants to draw something from her, and the only way that he knows to do it is to just keep talking. Well, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the seduction scene when they go back to his horrible apartment is incompetent. He clearly has no idea what he's doing. Um, but it's kind of charming, and yet it's also, I think, kind of sinister. Like, mm-hmm. like I, 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 I don't know. Rapey is probably taking it too far, but there is something unnerving about that scene. And I'm not sure the movie means for it to be unnerving. I think it may just be a difference from 1976 to 2016. Mm-hmm. Well, part of it, I, I think, is just the only reason why it 
works is because they are both equally incompetent. That's true. You know, you know, and and which, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about her pet being in a pet shop? Does that does that mean something? Is what? she a pet? I think she's around animals, you know, like the okay. like the animals she lives with, and also it gives Rocky an opportunity to be charming with Butkus the dog. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you know it shows yeah. it shows how gentle he is too. He has these turtles. He loves the birds. He loves Butkus the dog, which is I guess Dick. Stallone's don't real dog. Dick. <laughs> What's that? What'd you say? I said, don't forget Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah. Moby Dick the the uh, goldfish. So so it it shows you that this guy who who we've just seen or who we're about to see be a lone enforcer uh, mm-hmm. is, is actually a very gentle man when, when the situation calls for him to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other bits from uh, Adrian's arc in the movie, David? It, it's, it's a case of one of the, of, of what uh, has, uh, has sometimes been called the pretty ugly girl. Um, you, 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 you get someone who's, who's attractive, but you want them to be, to have an unattractive to attractive arc. And so you just, you know, dress them schlubby and give them glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, as I was watching this, I was watching this on Amazon, uh, streaming. And, mm-hmm. uh, and if, if you watch things on Amazon streaming, uh, if you mouse over the player, sometimes there will be like little trivia about that scene in the movie as you're <laughs> watching it. Okay. And, and Amazon told me that uh, that uh, apparently, oh, who was it? Susan Sarandon had auditioned for the role of Adrian, but had been turned down because she was too obviously attractive. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, so so that there's there's that they they act you know they they were actively seeking and and actually succeeded in not casting the most attractive person that was available in that role. They actually they actually were attempting to to put together two people who are um kind of normal, you know, mm-hmm. in 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 that setting, and uh. Even though she does get, you know, more dressed up and she starts to wear cute hats and, and, you know, Rocky is so just adorably and innocently pleased when she, you know, when, when she, when she shows up in, you know, different clothes, he just, he, he just lights up. It's, 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 it's cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's right after Mick tells him to stay away from that girl. <laughs> well, women ruin legs. Yep, yep. <laughs> women weaken legs, kid. Yeah. So, yeah, God anyway. God bless Mick. God bless Mick. <laughs> yeah. Also worth noting, this is the part Talia Shire player, plays, Talia? Talia? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the the only other movie anybody sees her in is The Godfather. And yep. it's in its sequels, and her role in The Godfather is to be an abused wife. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she owns it. She's, she's <laughs> very good. I, I can't imagine Susan Sarandon doing a better job than her in this role. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, that's, yeah, yeah, that really is hard to imagine. Part of it might just be because I, I have seen Rocky so many times, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm mean, about the only other bit that I'd I'd want to highlight just for a moment is that uh, Adrian is the only person uh, to whom Rocky admits any kind of weakness that I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's her that he goes to to say that okay, when Apollo Creed's belittling him on the television interview, it really does bother me. It's yeah. her that he goes to when he says, "I realize that I can't beat this guy. I'm not going to win." Uh, so I mean, I I think that's also an angle of this relationship that, you know, I mean, she in a movie where, you know, like Michael said, there is no, uh, overt religion, or at least a very, very minimal amount of overt religion. She does function as sort of his confessor in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, he has to say these things to somebody and she's the one he says them to. That makes a lot of sense. Well, David, uh, you know, we, we can't talk about Rocky without Apollo. So, uh, Rocky Balboa's, 
path crosses Apollo Creed's when a national contender comes up unable to fight in a big, uh, you know, bicentennial promotion. The promoter goes looking for a big event for a bicentennial battle. How does this All-American fight come to pass, and how does that shot at the big time lead to the possibly the most famous morning jog in the movies? <laughs> well, there's two problems that Apollo Creed has. The first is that the guy that was lined up for the already scheduled event that they've already spent so much money promoting, the guy that he was supposed to be matched against um, breaks a finger. Mm-hmm. Which means he can't go in the ring. And the problem is, is that the event is so close. Uh, what, it, what, what, it, what is it? Three weeks? Five, five weeks. Five weeks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three. Um, yeah, okay. So they're five weeks till the deadline. And so everyone else that's possibly a, a, suitable, uh, a, a suitable contestant for this particular role is either already booked elsewhere or is injured or is unable to get into shape in five weeks. They, they don't mm-hmm. think that they, that they would be, they would be able to, to do it. So, so this big event is just going to fall apart. And what Apollo Creed, who it's fascinating because he's surrounded by managers by advisors, by people who who give him information, but it seems to be so clear that he is the brains of his own operation. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, he's just a tremendously interesting character to me. So he comes up with the idea: if if we can't fu- if we can't make it a fight, then we'll go for a gimmick, and the gimmick is to look for an unknown. To, if they can't find a suitable contender, do the exact opposite and find a nobody and turn it into a a Cinderella story, right? In which the the local no name gets a chance, gets a shot uh, at the at the title. The person who would never be a contender gets to be. And this is this is presented as. Uh, essentially the essence of the American dream. It's, it's January 1st, the beginning of the most important American, you know, one of the most important American birthdays is about to happen. He says, you know, that we're, we're, we're at the bicentennial. And so it's the American dream. Everybody has a shot. If they work hard, the American dream as a, as a publicity store, uh, publicity stunt. Mm -hmm. And the promoter says it's very American. And Apollo Creed says, no, it's very smart, <laughs> which it is. Uh, he ultimately, Rocky is selected because of his name. Nothing else about him. Uh, he goes, his name, there, his nickname. Well, yeah, his, his ring name, yeah. But it's, it's, it's both of them together, but, but definitely the ring name, because Apollo Creed keeps saying it and just savoring it. The Italian Stallion. <laughs> right, Italian stallion. He he just he's just in love with the way that sounds coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like a monster movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. he, he likes the idea that Columbus was Italian. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Columbus was Italian, so that makes sense. And uh, yeah, and he goes. They're they're looking through this, I guess, directory of local fighters, and he keeps mm-hmm. saying, "No, nope, don't like his name. Hate his name. That sounds stupid." But Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion, that's that sounds good, and and mm-hmm. that's that's literally the only reason why Rocky has a shot because of the name he came up with while eating dinner. Yep. <laughs> Um, and so, because Rocky has merely weeks to get into shape, he has to adopt uh, what's a pretty brutal um, fitness routine, which involves mm-hmm. getting up at an ungodly hour at the morning, eating half a dozen eggs raw in one gulp, Ugh, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then and then jogging through squalor until he finds that place with all the steps. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and so we get. Um, not one training montage, but kind of repeated references um, 
back to that morning jog, which, um, and then also, you know, punching things in a, in a, a meat packing plant. But, mm-hmm. but that, that morning shot, that morning jog and how well he's doing in the morning jog becomes a kind of surrogate for how fit he is because initially, um, He's acting kind of like I would if I had to run <laughs> down the block, you know, holding his mm-hmm. ribs and gasping and looking as if, you know, he desperately needs oxygen. Right, uh, right. And then at the end, he's just running, just runs up the top of the steps and jumps up and down and dances. Mm-hmm. You know, so a couple things happening there cinematically. Um, yeah, the, 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 the progression of his training as told through jogging. Mm-hmm. And that another thing about that segment of the movie, and of course it's not all just one long training montage. If it were, it'd be Rocky Four. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, you get that that moment where Polly really does show at least some kind of acumen, because you know after Rocky throws the temper tantrum and starts you know slugging the side of beef, he realizes okay, you know this would be a great shot. So he invites local news crews into the meatpacking plant. And mm-hmm. pretends that this is what Rocky has always done to train for his fights, rather than something that Rocky did because he was mad at 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 Polly. Yeah, of course he got him fired. He did do that. He did do that. Still, it ended up being a brilliant scene, and it has an impact on Apollo. Well, the one guy in Apollo Creed's entourage that happened to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that particular shot of that guy watching Rocky punching meat. Um, is is kind of fantastic. Well, I mean, oh. it, it works so well that having never seen the movie, I assumed that was just Rocky's standard training practice. That's mm-hmm. one of the that's one of the iconic scenes from the movie. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, and, and I mean, it's kind of like that movie uh, Network. Did you guys ever see that one? I saw part uh, of it. I'm I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You know, of course, the gimmick there is at first the guy just freaks out and says that, but then the new network starts selling T-shirts of it. And I mean, it's, you know, it, it's my, you know, ab, you know, power tends to co-opt and absolute power co-ops absolutely, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, capitalism will find a way to make a buck off of anything you do, even an utter freak out. Yeah. Capitalism, like life, will find a way. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But like I said, I mean, that that really is, I mean, for my money, the one time when Polly shows that he really is good at something, he's good at hustling, right? Uh, yeah. he sees this and he says, okay, you know, I mean, he, in some ways, in a very weird way and probably in the only way he stands as a sort of counterpart to Apollo Creed there because he says, ah, a gimmick let's, let's run with this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I mean that, that same corner man, David, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I mean, he's the one who during the fight, you know, says to Apollo Creed, okay, nobody told this guy that he's showing up for a show. He thinks he's here to fight. <laughs> Yeah. So I mean, he's he's kind of the uh, the voice of you know tragic reason in Apollo yeah. Creed's corner. He's he he's he's the he's the he's the Cassandra over there. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> but no one's gonna listen to him. Uh huh. Oh goodness! I, I and 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 he's given his job by Apollo. There's something there. There's something there. Yeah. We should promote this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, we'll talk about the end of the film at the end of our podcast today, but right now, say something about that fight itself. Uh, what is its place in the narrative structure? What can we say about the fight's narrative structure itself? What about, you know, Balboa and Creed can we say in this fight? There's an awful lot about publicity. Rocky, mm-hmm. Rocky has been interested throughout the movie in reputation. We talked about the scene with Marie. After he gives Marie advice, she calls him Creepo, and he walks away saying to himself, who are you to give advice, Creepo? The sense that he does not have a reputation, and this reputation now has fallen upon him. He's suddenly in contention for the uh, heavyweight champion of the world. Right? Mm -hmm. If he he won this, he would be the heavyweight champion? Oh, yeah, yeah. The title's on the line. I wasn't sure sure how it worked. Since he has never fought a major fight before, I Mm -hmm. I didn't know how it worked. Um, Mickey talks about his own failure being due to a lack of publicity. And Mm so this whole fight is about publicity. And yet, right before the fight, we see that Rocky 
wants the truth, not not an image, because he goes in and looks at this big painting of himself that's hanging in the arena, mm-hmm. and he's wearing the wrong color shorts. And he tells the yeah. pro- he tells the promoter, "Hey, you know, I'm wearing white shorts with a red stripe, not red shorts with a white stripe." And the uh, the promoter says, "Well, it doesn't matter, but it matters to it matters to Rocky because this is who he is, not some image mm-hmm. he's projecting of himself." By the way, this is another scene that real life wrote. They uh, the when they had the poster made, they did it wrong. Yeah, and and, and, <laughs> so, and so like I'm I I'm reading this into the into the film, but it's not it's not part of Stallone's intention. Who cares, right? Oh sure, sure. So well, but he, yeah, he, go ahead. he still chose he still chose to lampshade it, right? He he wrote a scene in which Rocky acknowledges that the image is wrong, and he makes it he makes it mean something. That's true because nobody would have said anything. I mean, no. So this is Rocky choosing honesty and integrity over image, and so the the fight to some extent is less about the actual boxing, about which I know nothing. I've never seen a boxing match. So if one of you knows more about. <laughs> boxing choreography than I do. Maybe you'll be mm-hmm. able to say something. But it's much more about Rocky being who he is and refusing to give in. And so he he just keeps going. Like you know, like the guy says, he doesn't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a mm-hmm. damn fight. And, and nothing yeah. is going to dissuade him from that. Not even when his nose gets broken for the first time in his career. Mm-hmm. Do, do either one of you know more about boxing choreography than I do? I, I feel entirely incompetent to talk about that. David, you want to talk about punch by punch? Uh, apparently it involves a lot of hugging in between bouts. <laughs> there is a lot of hugging. What is that? I Well, the answer is that, I mean, the distance at which you can actually throw a punch and make it do something is a very precise distance. Mm-hmm. And if you back up when you're too close to the other fighter, they're going to hit you as you back up. So one strategy in the ring is simply to basically incapacitate the other fighter's arms. Then the referee breaks you up and then you can reset and throw punches again. Yeah. Yeah. You're, 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 you're too close to be effectively hit. So you're actually the safest place is in your opponent's arms. Yes. There's a metaphor there, isn't there? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that um, was always, uh, I I remember being interested in the first time I saw this movie, I was, uh, I don't know, maybe 11, 12, something like that. I didn't understand most of it, Mm -hmm. but I had no idea that every boxing match didn't end with a KO, right? I had this kind of, you you never played Mike Tyson's punch out. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, I ha- I had this kind of child's image of boxing in which every fight ends with just the dramatic, you know, guy on the mat, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that the fight just goes on and on and on and the concept of points was completely alien to me. So even though I didn't understand everything that was going on, um, Rocky was the thing that taught me that boxing was was more than just, you know, the dramatic uppercut, mm-hmm. you know. So, so 15 I do rounds is pretty, pretty rare, right? Oh, it's very rare, yeah. You can, you can see it at the end of it, how, how dead tired they are. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, there's that, that grisly moment where, you know, his, his face is bruised and he has him lance the bruise so that he can see to continue fighting. I mean, he, he is very literally asking people to cut him so that he can keep fighting. Oof. <laughs> yeah, I, I, That's I, hardcore. I turned away fr- from that part. <laughs> that was a part I knew about. I was okay. so gross. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the bout is, is, is amazing because in the first, um, I mean, first round, he decks Creed. Mm-hmm. And everything changes at that moment. Up to that point, it was theater, right? Everybody else was playing. The only person in the ring who's not playing is Rocky. Mm-hmm. And they think he's a bad actor. But he's not a bad actor because he's not acting. Right. You know? And I love the way everything changes at that moment. And, you know, the god hits the mat. And now, and now everything is online. 
uh, on the line in a way that it wasn't, you know, ten seconds before. Mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of a great moment. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll go ahead and say that. I mean, I, I've seen a good number of boxing matches over the years, and there is very little in a Rocky movie boxing matches bat, boxing match. Pardon me, that resembles a real boxing match. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not the point. I mean, you know, that this is the thing that I always say about, you know, people who look at a dramatic production and say that would never happen in real life. And I say, well, of course it wouldn't. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not why you watch a movie. If you want to watch real life, go out on the sidewalk. Uh, but you know, uh, yeah, I mean that punch, David, I mean, really does set things up, you know, that wonderful dramatic moment where Apollo Creed finally drops Rocky uh, and he turns away and, you know, he's working up the crowd and then you turn around and I mean, you can see the horror even through his, you know, makeup caked face that, oh my gosh, he's not staying down. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he realizes he really is in a monster movie. I mean, this, <laughs> he can't kill this guy. Um, yeah. And you know, the, uh, I, I think that, you know, in that way, I mean, it, it functions a lot more like, uh, you know, a, a, professional rest, a professional wrestling match, frankly, than an actual boxing match in that it yeah. actually has a narrative structure, right? I mean, you're right. Yeah. The god drops. Uh, but then, you know, the, the guy who is coming back to life has to be killed first. And, you know, um, just all of these things. And then, you know, you see the rounds kind of go by round eight, round 13, round 14, and you realize that, I mean, they have been pounding on each other like this for 40 minutes at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, like I said, I mean, uh, if you watch a real boxing match, usually uh, it is decided by one, maybe four or five punches. You know, these guys are just, you know, clobbering each other more than any human body can take. Yeah. Uh, and for that reason, I mean, you know, like I said, uh, it, it resembles a professional wrestling match a lot more than it resembles a real boxing match. But that's mm-hmm. the point. I mean, you know, this is the story of, you know, the man who is nowhere and is going nowhere, but then gets the shot and he, you know, goes the distance. And I mean, that's that's why you watch a Rocky movie. You don't watch it for boxing lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I hope you don't anyway. I, you're going to get killed if you do. <laughs> right, right. Well, it, it reminds me of the the end of Fairy Queen Book One. Okay. Um, with Saint George, the Knight of Holiness, mm-hmm. going well, he goes three rounds with the dragon. Yeah. At at, at the end, but it but it's it's very much that same kind of, um, that same kind of fight narrative that uh, I really enjoy, and it's got you know I I think it's got a a, a long kind of narrative heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I don't mind it so much. Oh, sure, sure. Well, and also, I mean, you know, just, just to point out the obvious, I mean, you know, the fanfare that you hear just before you see the sign for Resurrection Athletic Club is the same fanfare you hear just before the Apollo Creed fight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, in, in case they hadn't hammered it home enough, this is Rocky's res- res- resurrection here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, anyway, David, I, I don't think we're probably going to do more than one Rocky episode, so I want to go around the horn <laughs> and talk just briefly about the sequels to this movie. Uh, have you seen any? Are they any good? Or if you haven't seen any, to what extent have these movies become part of your experience, even though you haven't seen them? That's often a story that we tell on this show. So, David, you start and then uh, you know, pass the uh, water bottle to Michael. <laughs> uh well uh, that's going to have to be the story this time too because the the bulk of the of the Rocky sequels came out during a phase of my life when uh going to the theaters was not a thing that I did. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it, were it not for an uncle who had Rocky on VHS I would have never seen it when I did in my childhood certainly didn't go to a theater for it. Um Rocky 4 um, the Cold War Rocky with uh, Drago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember seeing commercials for it, and the 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 image of of 
of uh, Ivan Ivan uh, Drago as the 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 big scary Soviet boxer. Um, uh, that image got in my head somehow, so that years later, mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I don't. I don't even know that I associated it with Rocky Four, but. You know, I watched. Uh, I, re- I remember years later getting when I guess one of the much later Rocky sequels came out, being like, "Okay, there's lots of Rocky movies. I don't know about them," and seeing an and seeing a picture, uh, uh from from that film and being like, "Oh, that's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that guy has been in my imagination since I was, you know, since I was a child. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, he's been part of the, you know, the pantheon of my head, as it were. Um." And I didn't, I didn't realize who that was. Well, in the same way, um, is it, is it, is it Rocky three that we have to thank for the, for the prevalence of Mr. T in my childhood? Oh, you best believe it. No, yeah, I mean, no, no, no. A team, a team predates that. No, it does, does not. Does it? I, I don't know. I have an idea. No, Sylvester Stallone discovered Mr. T at a tough man boxing contest and invited him to be on Rocky three. I'm almost certain of this. Okay, we need we need to IMDb this like in real time. No, you're right. You're right. A team's eighty three. Rocky two. Rocky three is eighty two. I'll take wow. it back. Okay, so so Rocky three. Yeah, Rocky I never three saw. is have ba Baracus. Yes. All right. So, so you know. So now, Mister uh, Mister T, another another one of my childhood pantheon. Uh, mm-hmm. The guy who got that inexplicable Saturday morning cartoon where he's kind of like <laughs> din mother to a bunch of gymnasts. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, which has never made any sense at all. You know, um, the thing is, I never once questioned that in the 80s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But like, why did why does what that the only uh, the only reason why that makes sense, I guess, is that is that Mr. T is big about the same time Mary Lou Retton is. Mm-hmm. And someone said, "Hey, what if we?" <laughs> and yeah, I guess that's la- true. Nineteen eighty-four. That makes some sense. And nobody laughed, so it happened. <laughs> now, Nathan, I have a uh, I have a theological question: Is Mister T in danger of the fires of hell for pitying the fool, or I don't know? I mean, since he uh, refers to the fool in the third person without uh, calling anyone fool directly in the second person, one does have to ask the uh, grammatical question. Yeah. Well, well then, in fact, say you fool, which is actually the utterance <laughs> that puts you in danger. <laughs> nice. There's well, a book in here somewhere. <laughs> and what about what about uh, Hulk Hogan? He, he was oh, already about, he was already established, right? Yeah, <laughs> although that movie certainly made him bigger. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, 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 I'm not as sure on this, but I think that might have been before the first WrestleMania. Interesting. Man. So, so yeah, so Rocky's <laughs> one, of those, one of those cultural phenomena that apparently shaped a great deal of what went on in my imagination as a kid, and I didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. It, Michael, was, you before, to... it was before the first WrestleMania, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay, so... He made Mr. T and Hulk Hogan with one sequel. <laughs> wow. That's wonderful. <laughs> I've never seen any of those movies. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what makes them so bad? Like, like Rocky is, is a weird little art film. It won Best Picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what, how, how do you take that movie and turn it into a series of training montages, you know? Or, or, uh... Is it is it number four? That's just the the jingo, the the patriotic. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I yeah. mean it's it's living in it, America. It, it, yeah, it's Rocky three mapped onto the Cold War. Mm-hmm. What 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 allows that to happen? Money to be made. Because yeah. it happened to Rambo too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. First Blood I is a, First Blood I, is a weird little movie and and not not really an action movie. And then eventually Rambo's off killing all the Afghanis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And see, I've never seen the, the Rambo movie, so I don't know. You get it? The first one's really good. Okay. First Blood. It, it uh, did the same thing with the with Death First Wish. Blood Part Two, Rambo. Yeah. <laughs> did the same thing with uh, Charles Bronson's Death Wish movies. Is it true? Yeah, hmm. the first Death Wish movie is actually incredibly ambivalent with his, with him embarking at, on a 
on a career as a as a vigilante. Um, but by the time you get to the sequels, there's there's no questions. It's just what he does. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's there's something about this. It Rocky is a film of the seventies, mm-hmm. and it and it's interested in it's interested in the squalor. <laughs> frankly, yeah, it's, it's a squalid movie. Oh yeah, because I mean that that side of Rocky gets completely effaced in three and four. Yes, but but you know Rocky loves that, you know, and it, it getting a, pe- a best picture in seventy in 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 that year makes sense to me, you know. Mm-hmm. It it looks like a it looks like a film of it era of of its era. It looks like it's valuing the things that people value in that era, mm-hmm. um, in terms of in terms of film. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, it's, 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 it's another one of those franchises in which the eighties fundamentally misunderstood what made the first movie in the seventies good. Oh, sure. Sure. And I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know listeners when I'm not blaming something on Bill Clinton, I'm blaming something on Ronald Reagan, but I mean, three <laughs> and did. four especially have that, that feel, right? I mean, it's not enough that he go the distance. He has to defeat the evil Mr. T slash Dolph Lundgren character, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and moreover, you know, you don't even have the complexity of the fight scene where, you know, no one thinks that Rocky is going to last three rounds, but he drops the champ in the first round. It's, okay, the first two rounds, Rocky is a punching bag. And then, you know, there's this inexplicable, again, professional wrestling comeback in the third round where he defeats evil. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I I think that you know, honestly, the moral complexity goes out of it, right? You know, I mean, it just becomes a movie about a threat that rises, and you know, Rocky is the, you know, the bruiser who can defeat that evil force in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I will say, I mean, you know, just because I love things that are you know so bad that they're good, uh, th- there are some lines in Rocky Four that I mean, uh, I I still use. Uh, I think honestly, sometimes, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching students and, you know, they, they tell me that they're not all that worried about my exam. I say, you will lose. (laughs) 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 And of course, none of them seen any Rocky sequels, so they have no idea what I'm doing, but you know, (laughs) yeah. and then, I mean, you know, in Rocky four, you've also got, uh, and we talked about this on the top gun episode. I think it is the quintessential, uh, cold war movie far more than top gun is. Uh, and it's largely because not even Dolph Lundgren, but the little guy who plays his manager, I mean, is basically Boris Badenov on, in the, in live action. I mean, he, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, again, you know, just some of his little lines, you know, it's simple. Anything he hits, he destroys. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I also saw these movies for the first time on VHS. I actually still own my own set of VHS movies of the first five. Um, nice. And in fact, that's what I used to prep for the show was my VHS copy of Rocky. Uh, but, you know, number four, I mean, I was old enough by the time I saw it that it was hilarious when it was trying to be very earnest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Michael, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't apologize for spoilers on a 40-year-old movie that is, you know, this recognizable in America's film tradition. So here's how it ends. Rocky Balboa goes 15 rounds against Apollo Creed and loses by a split decision. So let's pretend for a moment that the sequels don't matter. What kind of American story ends this way? Well, as David points out, an American story is from the 70s. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in the, in the midst of the national malaise, I think it would have been asking too much. It would have strained credibility for uh, mm-hmm. for Rocky, this unknown, to beat the world heavyweight champion. I mean, the the best you could possibly ask for would be a tie, which is basically what you got, right? Um, well, no, Creed wins. He wins in a split decision that mm-hmm. takes place basically off screen. Like, yeah. like if you hadn't written that, if I hadn't read it before I watched the movie, I'm not sure I would have picked up. I would have thought it was a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because oh, it's so quiet. Okay, okay. You I have got... to listen so close to even know that. Yeah, because uh, Rocky uh, doesn't care. 
for 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 Rocky, it's it's all about it's all about hanging in there. He says I, it don't yeah. matter because I was nobody before. The point is he's <laughs> he's now he's now become somebody. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, it's kind of amazing that he doesn't win because as you as you point out, and the other ones, I'm sure he does. But uh, yeah, does. <laughs> it's the glory, it's the glory of the movie that he doesn't. Because if he did, it would be it would be unbelievable on every level. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not with, sure it's not the, unbelievable. He went 15 rounds. Right, right. With the exception, I should say, of uh, Rocky Balboa, the one from the I can't remember if it was the late 90s or the George W. Bush era. They do basically copy rocky and have him lose by a split decision as he's leaving at you know and they announce it when he's already on his way out of the arena hmm. was that one good I, I heard that was the only sequel that could oh be good. gosh i really didn't like it uh i mean I, i've been reading up on it prep, prepping for this episode and i mean i feel like i need to revisit it i mean now that i've read what some other people have written about it i can see some merit in it that i really didn't what I didn't like about it is because it was... Well, I mean, it's the same thing, Michael, that you and I talked about uh, with the Back to the Future sequels. Uh, some people find self-referentiality very endearing. I, I find it somewhat infuriating. So, uh-huh. I mean, it is... Rocky Balboa, I mean, winks at you the entire time the movie's going on, saying, hey, remember this from the original? Hey, remember this from Rocky Three? Hey, remember this? See, I'll accept lo- that in Back to the Future because it's a movie about time travel, and so it makes sense. But in, <laughs> right. this, in this ostensibly serious portrait of a boxer, I'm not sure I would enjoy it. Yeah, which again, I, I, I realize that, you know, I've set myself up on this show as the, you know, postmodern connoisseur of irony. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it bugged me in a Rocky movie. <laughs> well, except that isn't that the boxing movie that Mickey would make? The one that's all about his nostalgic memories could you be, know? yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there, there's, there's something about that that's in the DNA of this from the beginning. Is that 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 figure who's remembering the glory days and mm-hmm. and what's going on with the young boxer is recapitulating or not those memories. Um, I mean, it, it it could make it could make a kind of sense, but but even for Stallone to go back to that role is you know that is 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 being mickey oh uh, yeah yeah oh that that's another oddity from the sequels is that in the sequels they make mick jewish wait what? I, I, yeah yeah I, <laughs> you know i mean i his name is mick you know he talks with that sort of you know south philly growl i mean i i assumed until i saw rocky three that he was irish but I've, apparently, I was supposed to take him as Jewish the whole time. Was it? Is it still the Penguin? Burgess Meredith. Yeah. 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 Huh. <laughs> All right. So, sorry, I, I just figured I'd throw that in there since we're talking ethnicity for a moment. But yeah, I mean the. I'm I'm sorry, I, I cut you guys off, but I mean, you know, I I, I appreciate that about the original that you know, the conditions for winning aren't even settled in this movie right mm-hmm. uh i mean you know i i think adrian generally genuinely wins because this person who wouldn't speak to anyone is proclaiming her love for her boyfriend on national tv you know rocky wins because he went the distance when everyone thought he was a nobody apollo creed wins because there was a split decision you know uh, you know the boxing announcers, I mean, are even talking during that last sequence about, you know, this is a fight unlike any that America has ever seen. So America wins, you know, um, and yet it's all so bittersweet because, uh, you know, Rocky, even though he was just pounding the crap out of Apollo Creed in the last round, uh, still doesn't get the nod from the judges. So, I mean, from mm-hmm. the powers that be, he still can't win. On the, on the, on the other hand, though, I, I know that Apollo Creed probably doesn't feel this way, which is why there's a sequel. Because they keep muttering to each other, "There's not going to be a rematch." There's not. Oh, that—that's the most hilarious exchange of lines in the movie. Yeah. Later, ain't yeah. gonna be a rematch. Don't want one. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. you do. <laughs> but it, it, except that you know now, it, it's almost as if Apollo Creed, yeah, the the god was felled in the first round, but then the god went fifteen rounds, 
Yeah. And yeah, he wins on the split decision, but but he he has a dignity at the end of the fight that he didn't have at the beginning. Sure, he's a real boxer. He's not he's not just a Exactly. He's not just a showman. He's not just smart. It's not just mm-hmm. pro wrestling. He is also tough and he is also endured and and they become more and more alike so that so that towards the end they're both, you know, the guys in the corner are saying, Step down, step down, step back, end it. And uh-huh. and they both say, I will kill you if this in this if you end this fight. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know, and and it's so so I think even even Apollo Creed has a kind of often authentic dignity at the end of the film that he didn't have at the beginning of the fight when he's dressed up as Uncle Sam in shorts dancing around. <laughs> and, and Washington crossing the Delaware. Throwing yes. money. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. I I do love this movie. Is I it really true do. that they're best friends in the later movies? Yes, they are. Isn't there a scene where they're like, I, I, I don't know, grabbing around in the ocean together? Yeah, that would be Rocky Three. Weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just I I don't understand how this movie became that movie. Yeah, well, I mean, in Rocky Two, they have a rematch. Uh, they actually knock each other down, and there is a mutual nine count. But Rocky stands up before ten, and Apollo stays down. That's how that one ends. I'm, I'm giving spoilers here, but again, we're talking about a forty-year-old series here. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners, but then yeah, in, in Rocky Three, uh, in the first boxing match. Uh, Rocky just gets his butt handed to him by Clubber Lang, played by Mr. T, and Apollo Creed becomes his trainer because Mick dies of a heart attack while the Mr. T fight is going on. Mm. So yeah, I mean, at that point, they become best buddies, and then in number four, uh, Dolph Lundgren's character actually kills Apollo Creed in the ring, and Rocky basically goes to the Soviet Union to do battle and avenge his friend. Now, does he fight Soda Popinski? When he's in the Union. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> I uh, I used to I used to read these Mike Tyson's Punch Out comics, uh-huh. which I recognize now just stole plots from the Rocky movies. Because uh, I I do remember that uh, Little Joe's trainer Mac died just before his pi- fight with oh, Piston, oh, with Piston Honda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he sensitively phenomenal. named Piston Honda. Yeah. Oh, shoot. It's a great game, though. It really is. It really is. Well, at any rate, guys, I mean, do you want to take a, a last swing at the champ here before we take it out the door? <laughs> Mike, Mike what, what was it like re- watching Rocky for the first time in 2016? I was very, very interested in its treatment of race because it's set up as if race is going to be a big issue, and then they completely ignore it. So, so like, <laughs> Rocky's being pushed out by black boxers. And yet, he doesn't seem to have any racism toward them at all. Nothing but respect for Apollo, even though Apollo is occasionally kind of a buffoon. Uh, and it's just—it's just not an issue. It's kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. But like, he didn't. He, what was the guy's name? Dipper, who got his locker. Yeah, yeah, You're, that sounds about right. I really thought we were being set up for there to be some sort of racial conflict between Rocky and Dipper, and it just wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, the most we get is. I like your little locker, Stallion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's really not about race. It really is about class. Mm-hmm. And the whole the whole thing is about Rocky's squalor versus Apollo's, well, life in the sun. Mm-hmm. You know. That's nice, Grubs. I caught that. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, the, I, I was revisiting this, you know, uh, from, from from childhood, and it was kind of surprising to me how many things that I remembered that I didn't remember remembering. So that when I saw them again, I was like, oh, I remember this. Uh, <laughs> of course, there was lots of other stuff that that, that I missed too. I, I I don't think Polly had ever made sense to me when I was a kid. He was just this weird character who did stuff, and I'm like, why did he do that? That's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, in this film, I think he made he made a little more sense. And for for whatever reason, Polly was just central to my to my rewatching of it this time around because his his character is such a problem, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to be here, right? I mean, there, there's nothing narratively necessary about Polly, and yet he's so important. 
which in some senses makes it real, right? Because mm-hmm. no nobody's actual life is stripped down to only the narrative necessary characters. Right. <laughs> we've mm-hmm. all got we've all got polys. You know. Anyway. Some of us are polys, man. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. <laughs> what if I'm a poly? No. Yeah. Oh goodness. Well, folks, that's going to wrap up our conversation about Rocky. Uh, our next show, uh, Michael, what are we going to talk about? We're going to be reading Franz Kafka's short story in the Penal Colony. Oh wow! Well, listeners, you can look forward to that. And in the meantime, you can find us on ChristianHumanist.org on the web. You can email us at thechristianhumanist at gmail dot com. Uh, you can and you should go over to iTunes, leave us a review there. Of course, iTunes is the largest distributor of podcasts, and that would help us greatly uh, to find more listeners, get more people in the conversation. That's what we're looking for. Um, Christian Humanist Podcast is part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Our intern is Amber Lee Copeland. And I am Nathan Gilmore in behalf of David Grubbs and Michael Farmer saying, let your sins be strong, let your faith be stronger.